Every step you take, every move you make, every step you make, and move you out in you. Well, can't you see? You belong to me. My cool heart waits. Every step you take, every move you Every step you take, every move you make, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Well, can't you see you belong to me? My cool heart waits, every step you take. Yesterday, we're going to be exploring what it is to step, what it is to move, what it is to, generally speaking, be in motion. Yes, you've guessed it, we're in that unit of physics where we talk about the laws of motion. What are they and how are they connected? We'll be looking at things such as acceleration. We'll be looking at things such as velocity. And we'll also be looking at things such as speed. And also, and finally, distance and time. The most fundamental parts of what we will be looking at. Distance and time, of course, very important. Probably the most important thing. Because nearly everything in our universe is moving, you know. And it's moving in a particular direction and a particular style. You have the electrons, they are moving. They're kind of freeform. They're very interesting in their movements. Buses, they move as well. Thankfully, buses move along straight lines. At least we hope they do. Because if they don't, they might crash into us and then we're going to be in trouble. Other things that move, fishes, they move in a sort of a wavy motion. Fishes moving, big fishes moving, just fish in general moving through the ocean in skulls. Skulls or shoals? One of those words anyway. So we're going to be talking about motion and we are going to be talking about the aspects of motion that are very important, one of those being distance, the other one being time. Let's just have a look at those quantities for a while. Distance. Let's get a feel for it, shall we? It's not a bad idea to be able to estimate distance. You know? Give up five meters. I do it just by just holding my hands out like this. Um, at a certain angle, so that's a better Feels like a meter to me. Another way of measuring it, if you want to do it vertically, is from the floor up to some part of your body. That depends how tall you are. In my case, it's nearly two meters. And in fact, what I've discovered is from the floor to my hip, there's a little bit under a meter. 
So for me, that's a metre there. Feel my hip bone here. For you, most of you is going to be a bit smaller than that. Okay? So you might be up around the waist to be a metre. You get an idea of where a metre is. And as you grow, of course, uh, where the metre will be will go further down your body. But if you can get an idea of roughly what a metre by a metre is, you know, hands like that, up to your hip, roughly about the size, I would say, of most washing machines, for example. They're about a metre by a metre. It's good to have that. So what we've done there is we've talked about metre going in one direction. Of course, a metre can go in any direction you like. But we generally tend to think about metres going in one direction or another direction at a right angle to that. And here I'm using my arm stretching out from my centre line. That again would be roughly a metre in my case. Or an arm going forward. So you get roughly an idea of what a metre might be. Now we've got a second. What's a second? Well, a second seems to have been derived originally from a sort of a resting heartbeat. Because most of us, for example, if you measure a real, real resting heartbeat, it varies but you might be somewhere around 60 beats per second, per minute. 60 beats per second, that would just be uh, too fast. We do get speeds of that sort in nature, but uh, we only see them really in animals such as, um, such as hummingbirds who flap their wings extremely quickly and their hearts also go very quickly. But no, in the case of uh, humans, we tend to have a much slower heart rate. And like I say, 60 beats per minute. Another way to look at it, if you ever go walking quite slowly, wandering around like this. Seems to be a natural rhythm that's about a second. One, two, three, four, five, Six, seven, eight. Bum, 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 bum. So there we go. If you don't have a watch and you don't have a measuring stick, what are you going to do? And of course, for many centuries, we haven't had watches or measuring sticks. Watches are a relatively new invention. Um, they were mainly invented, if I can say that, really in the last two centuries, an accurate watch. Before that, we're talking sundials. I'm talking very, I'll do this, I'll have this sort of discussion where we'll talk, I'll talk very approximately about things. I just want you to get the sort of concept and we can get into the detail and verify information later. But our concept of time has really changed over the years and really, if you went back two centuries, our concept of time would be measured more by the sun um, than it is today. These, time, these days we have these very accurate 
timepieces, extremely accurate, very finely made instruments that lose a second in a decade or something ridiculous like that. Okay? So very good timepieces. So we might explore what it is to measure time and how we measure time. And then the other thing is distance. Now, the thing is about these things, we tend to think in seconds and minutes. They're convenient for us at our scale. But I want you to imagine yourself to be extremely small, the size of a proton. What would be your equivalent of a meter if you were a proton? Well, your equivalent of a meter would actually be much, much smaller. You're hopefully by now familiar with the concept of powers, yeah? So we say 10 to the power of as our way of scaling up. Yeah? We don't have to use base 10, we could use base 2, whatever base you like, really. But base 10 is convenient and we probably use it because we have 10 fingers on both of our hands so we can count to 10 quite conveniently but there's really no reason why we should use base 10 other than that and in fact it may have been that in the past we would have used base 2 because we were less able to manipulate our fingers so most animals if they can <coughs> I would imagine we'd use base 2 but anyway that's an aside we use base 10 and it's convenient. It means that we can look at numbers that are bigger than base 10 and smaller than base 10. In fact, getting back to our meter, if you can imagine a meter, as we have done, and then sort of look at your fingernail, a little bit thicker than your fingernail, would be another measurement, about a millimeter, not a small amount. Um, what else would it be? Maybe the thickness of a piece of cloth. And then we think about a centimetre. We're probably quite used to using centimetres, aren't we? Centimetres, not centimetres. So the centi is the diminutive. Centi. If you think about mega and milli. Yeah, mega and milli. It's usually the E sound is the smaller, the diminutive. The A sound is ground, you know. Something in the voice, the E, A, E, A. Something about the voice, I think, that makes that happen. Um, but there are um, 100 centimetres. Think of a cent, a dollar and cents. Centi, so 100. Centurion also a hundred hundred centimeters in a meter and then we have milli there are a thousand millimeters and of course in Colombia which is who I'm talking to although not everybody who's listening to this might be from Colombia we typically say oh how many uh, how, how many um, pesos are you going to pay for something Thousand mil, un mil, 
Unmil would be 1,000. So it's quite a familiar concept, I think. Uh, millipede as well, 1,000 legs. Centipede, 100 legs. So we can break our meter down into a millimeter tiny thing. Okay? So going at our scale, which is a meter, down to the milli, which is kind of the scale of our fingernail. If we did that five times, we shrank down in that manner, we're shrinking down a thousand times each time. We did that five times, five shrinkages of a thousand, we would get down to the size of a proton. quite amazing really. You might well have seen um, films like The Ant-Man where they try to show that very very nicely, very graphically and then they uh, come up with all this uh, strange stuff that's going on at what they call the quantum world. Um, so it's all good fun. Um, so we get down to the proton and we envisage a proton as being basically like a sphere or a ball. So if we went down, reduced ourselves a thousand times, we did that five times, we'd have this ball in front of us, a bit like the size of, a, of an exercise ball. And that would be our proton. And proton, that individual proton exists. We've got loads of them. <laughs> to say millions and millions and millions and millions of them in our bodies at the moment. Because those protons form, um, they're basically the nuclei of the simplest atom that we have, which is the hydrogen atom. You remember in the periodic table, Hydrogen atom is right up on the top left-hand corner. Very first atom that we have. Simplest, the original. One of my heroes in science is the hydrogen atom because so much of it in the, in the universe. To an order of magnitude, in fact, the universe is basically hydrogen. What I mean by that is something like, I always get a bit confused here, but, but I think I'm right, yeah. No, so nine out of 10 of all atoms that exist in the universe are hydrogen. And in terms of mass, 75% of the universe, of the visible universe, let's just be clear on that, is hydrogen. Practically all of the rest of it is helium, which is the second period. So we, we see these two atoms, these two elements in the periodic table, the first period. Don't think much of it. We look at the rest of the tables there, that's where all the interesting stuff is. But actually, looking at the universe as a whole, hydrogen and helium are the two big stars, if you like. Quite literally, because 
If you look at most stars, they are mainly hydrogen and helium. So that's the interesting thing about uh, about our universe. One of the interesting things. So we've scaled down. We've gone through this thousand reduction from sort of yay big a meter down to a fingernail millimeter. Done that five times, five times, and then we get down to the this. <coughs> exercise ball of a proton. Um, now it's called proton because pro meaning primary or first. So, um, not quite sure why it was given that name. Primary, I guess they thought it was the fundamental particle, I guess that must have been something to do with it. They thought it was fundamental, it was the first one they might have discovered. Um, but it's not a bad name, because it is really, um, it is fundamental. So I'll pro give you some information, so proton Protons, as far as we know, are more or less, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They never die. So if we're looking for something that uh, is going to live forever, live, we'll come on to the meaning of live, but anyway, something that's going to exist forever, then a proton pretty close. Estimates vary, we've not really tied this down, but we think that protons may live for something like 10 to the 30 years. Again, I'm using this word live, which um, quite a lot of scientists would uh, disagree with the use of that, but exist anyway for a huge amount of time. Longer than, by far, longer than the universe. If you imagine the universe is about um, 10 to the 10 years old, then much longer than that. Thank goodness, because if we think about it, if, if a proton did not exist for a long time, then we'd be constantly losing, I don't know, we'd be losing arms or stuff, or losing part, losing ourselves. <laughs> because the protons would just disappear or degrade. So they're very stable. Um, and protons are principally the drivers of mass. So we've talked about, talked about um, distance. We've talked about time, and we'll come back to time a little bit later, but another important aspect that we need to think about is mass. Strange concept of mass. Um, and which often gets confused with the idea of weight. 
and in fact in general usage we tend to consider the two to be almost synonymous. Why? Because we live on planet Earth, most of us, apart from those of us who've gone up into, the, uh, into space. So we've never really experienced a different environment than planet Earth. And here, it's perfectly reasonable to say, oh yeah, weight, mass, the same thing. Not quite. So when we get into science, we have to be a little bit more clearer in our thinking, a little bit more specific. And there is a difference between mass and weight. And I'll try and explain what that is. So we use the word mass. There's an interesting <coughs> word in Spanish, masa. It's the stuff you use to make uh, bread, is it? The masa. The masa. Here's the mass. The masa. So it's the substance. It's really a measure of how much of a substance there is there. And specifically, it's really mainly measuring how many protons there are. I'm going to say protons but actually protons are part of a broader species of particle that we call hadrons. Um, but I don't want to complicate matters. We'll stick with protons for now. Another hadron that we're very familiar with is the neutron. So the neutron was named because it didn't have a charge, it was neutral electrically. Yeah. So <coughs> protons and neutrons, the two are quite similar in many ways. And we, if we have time, you might go into the ways in which they are similar. But the main thing is <coughs> that um, proton is positively charged at this stage, neg neutron is negatively charged. And in fact, the very reason for a neutron to exist, actually, neutrons do not generally exist very happily by themselves. So protons, as I said, can last for up to 10 to the 40 years, so huge amount of time, far greater than the lifetime of our universe. Neutrons, on the other hand, will degrade. They have what we call a half-life, which is believed to be about a quarter of an hour, so 15 minutes. So if we took out a neutron somewhere, just put it there, there'd be a 50% chance that it would it would basically destroy itself or not destroy itself but it would go through a change back into a proton principally and then it emits some other things at the same time so 
proton is really very much these these hadrons that I'm talking about. Protons are the stable form of the hadrons, and the neutrons are the unstable forms. Now, the reason why neutrons exist is essentially because in uh, a hydrogen atom, we're fine. We've just got the one proton. But basically, because protons are positively charged, and as we all know from messing around with magnets, positively charged will repel each other. So we can't really have these protons in the centre of our atoms. If you have more than one of them, it's not really going to work. So the neutrons come along, and they're able to, uh, like sort of, uh, I don't know, marriage guidance counsellors between protons. If two protons are going to get hitched, then you need neutrons or a couple of neutrons just to come along and uh, be their best friends. Sort of. And that's, so that's what happens in the, inside the nucleus. And that's how we get helium, actually. So we've got two protons in the nucleus, and the two neutrons are sort of hanging around, best friends, you know, and saying, oh yeah, yeah. Connecting the two together. Or you might think about the neutrons as being almost like, uh, I was going to say children. Children can hold a couple together. I don't know. Whatever analogy works for you, really. Maybe best friends is better. So those are the protons and neutrons in the center. And the neutrons are about the same size as protons. Interestingly, <coughs> we used to believe that protons and neutrons were sort of fundamental particles. But now what we understand is that, um, because we've been using machines such as the Large Hadron Collider, we've been colliding protons at each other, usually protons, for a number of years now. And what we've discovered is that um, it's a bit more complicated than that. And if you, sh if you push these two protons together with enough speed, they will tear themselves apart and we will see um, some other things which we call quarks. And these quarks, we'll see three of them, principally. And these three quarks will come, will show themselves. <coughs> and curiously, we, we tend to consider po uh, protons to have a positive charge, but when we have a look at them, we look at the quarks, we find, actually, that they are made of three quarks, two of which have got a two-thirds positive charge, and one of which has got a minus a third charge. So the three come together, and those charges, if you do the quick maths, two-thirds and two-thirds makes four-thirds, take away a third, it's three-thirds, which is one. So we end up with this one charge, positive charge. By the way, when we say one positive charge, it's just, just you really, it doesn't really mean anything, actually. 
in terms of magnitude. We're just sort of describing it as a positive compared to an electron, which we say has a negative charge. Yeah. So we're just conveniently calling that one. So there we have it, we have this wonderful world of protons and electrons. I haven't really spoken about electrons. So protons, to get back to the point, apart from their size, is very small. They carry, they, they are very small. If you to look at the density, it would be, I don't know what it would be, but it would be very high, be a very high density. That would be the number of kilograms per meter cubed. Um, but they carry the mass. They carry the mass of the atoms, basically. Most of the mass. It's a bit more complicated than that, but... Most of the mass in the atom is, is within the protons and the neutrons that are in the nucleus. So they are the mass um, providers, let's say that. But then we've also got the electrons. And the electrons do this strange thing, is that they form around the outside of the protons at a distance. So it's almost as though the protons influence the electrons, which electrons will tra travel as a wave. And then what they'll do is they'll come up to the proton and say, oh, look, there's a proton there. They'll be attracted to it and they'll form this strange sort of wavy thing around the outside of the proton. And though this strange sort of wavy thing is basically, we call them orbitals, but you could just imagine it to be some sort of hazy kind of cloud around the outside of the electrons, of the, of the protons or the nucleus. And it forms in a certain shape. Some of those shapes tend to be spherical, but there are others that are, have different shapes. And some very interesting mathematical equations which describe these different shapes based on what we call the Schrodinger wave equation. So basically Schrodinger created this equation to describe waves and those waves will basically form their way around this proton in this nice sort of uh, interesting, interesting form. But there are only certain orbitals that are allowed, certain energy levels. And uh, so that's um, very interesting. Okay, so the way to imagine that is it's almost like you've got two different, um, forget about the fact that there might be a, a sort of a cloud, um, uh, think about it more in terms of um, maybe it was like a planet going around. Um, sun and those planets can have different energy levels suppose all the planets were the same size roughly this isn't the reality but suppose they were um, they would have different energy levels yeah? and so it's the same thing with the electrons Depending on where they are going around the outside, they have different energy levels. They don't actually go around the outside, they actually form a field around the nucleus of the atoms. 
That's what really happens. A probability field, as they call it. It's complicated. Um, and though, and you can put energy into an atom, and then you can raise that energy level, but it has to go certain leaps and bounds, and that really depends on on it on it being able to kind of fluctuate, if you like, or to harmonise in a certain way. And uh, there are only certain ways in which you can do that. Okay, so that's the electrons. And the fact that these electrons are so much bigger when they come around the, the, the proton, so much larger, um, they increase essentially the size of the atom from what was 10 to the negative 15 to about 10 to the negative 10. So five orders of magnitude the other way. So it's the equivalent, that's the equivalent of going from the thinness of a fingernail up to about the length of a football field in size, yeah? So quite a big change. So that gives a certain degree of volume because what happens is you get two atoms coming together. I'll, I'll take hydrogen as an example. So hydrogen tends to want to form a molecule which we call H2, two hydrogen atoms together. And when they do that, like taking two tennis balls, sticking them together, yeah, you can't really overlap the tennis balls, can you? So the tennis balls will stick together and then we get our hydrogen, in this case hydrogen molecule. It's because the electrons will resist each other. Yeah? Like charges will repel. But they have this other strange property where, um, where two electrons will want to occupy um, the same orbital. Yeah? So an orbital likes to... Electrons don't like to be on their own. They like to sort of team up in pairs. And so in the context of a molecule, you then form this sort of super orbital around both the protons and it looks a little bit like um, it's been described as a dumbbell but I don't see the dumbbell it looks like it's sort of an infinity sign you know what that, I mean so those are then we've got two protons and they're being separated by these electron clouds that are in some way working together these two electrons so that's really amazing I think. And we suddenly have volume, yeah? So we've gone up five orders of magnitude. You know, if we didn't have the electrons and the protons were able to, all the protons were condensed down into something five orders of magnitude smaller than what they are at the moment. Which takes us a little bit back to the beginning of the universe that sort of super dense state is um, where certainly we get to in certain circumstances and if you go into the centre of the, of the sun it's the sort of thing that's going on we've got protons coming close to each other and ultimately the force of gravity 
pushing two protons together even though they have like charges and so would normally repel the sheer energy that exists in the center of the sun allows for protons to break through a certain energy barrier and then they form into new types of atomic nuclei and ultimately through a process of these protons pushing together turning converting into neutrons because that process allows a proton to become a neutron pushing another one keep on pushing them in and then you get helium and then there are other processes that occur to get other types of element in the sun this is it's just pushing things together yeah so again we can always use tennis balls as our sort of idea of this we push two tennis balls together uh, you can't really push two hydrogen atoms together normally but if you've got enough energy you'll you'll just push them together and then the two those two protons that were separate suddenly are able to come together and then the proton will flip into a neutron you push another one in and then you'll have a proton with two neutrons um, and then finally push another one in and that's when it will flip into becoming this completely new type of atom called helium so we'll have two protons and two neutrons These are highly energetic processes. So you need a very high energy um, situation to get them going. And it just so happens that the gravitational pull around the sun is able to do that. Uh, and this process by which we push these hydrogen atoms together to make ultimately a helium atom uh, releases a huge amount of energy and we can figure out more or less what that energy is using a very famous equation that you all know which is E equals mc squared not E equals mc hammer <laughs> it's a joke from the 80s E equals mc squared. Which basically, I mean, is a very simple equation. It's just saying E, energy, is equal to mass multiplied by this number, which is the speed of light to the power of 2. And the speed of light is huge. 300 million meters per second and so we've kind of come full circle we've jumped around a little bit but we've come back to this idea of speed we've sort of delved into the idea of mass and mass mainly being contained within protons and neutrons in the center of an atom and then volume mainly being caused by electrons that go around the outside of these protons and neutrons 
in the atom. And so hopefully we're starting to get a feel for the way the universe is put together. Um, and everything that's happening can be at least visualized as to do with stuff moving and that movement is really stuff going through space in a certain amount of time vary the space the distance vary the time and that's kind of physics that's what physics is mainly about or at least certainly most of the physics that we come in contact with during our normal lives what we might call Newtonian physics most of that is governed by these sorts of ideas and where we get some variation from that is when we start to really look down into these micro scales of atoms and it gets a little bit more mysterious and odd and more difficult to understand which is why this very moment in time there are physicists theoretical physicists at university level having discussions about what it all means we've got a fairly good idea what how the universe works but there's still some missing pieces really so hopefully from what you've gathered from this talk is at least an idea of just an approach to thinking about the world around us and it's an approach that can be applied in many different ways really everything that we see around us is fundamentally to do with physics um, physics very much in, underpins our understanding of chemistry and chemistry also underpins our understanding of biology and in fact physics underpins some of the things that we're starting to think about in biology as an example before I finish think about the brain how does memory work how do we think these sorts of fundamental questions we're starting to scrape away at the layers of misunderstanding that we have. We're starting to understand that the brain may function something like a quantum device in as much as there may be things going on at the subcellular level. And, um, but we're still not really able to draw a, a completely direct connection between what's going on within the brain and I should say in the wider body 
and what we feel in our minds. My personal view is that it's a little bit closed-minded to say everything that we sense is to do with the brain. Because what does that really mean, you know? At the end of the day, sure, the brain is interpreting information, but that information is coming from somewhere. So I think we should not underestimate uh, the information that's gathered from our senses, both our external senses and our internal senses. So we have these internal ideas. Why do we feel pain, for example? Why do we feel sick? We feel sick, don't we? It's not simply a case of uh, we've been invaded by a virus and we don't feel anything, we feel it. So there must be some mechanism by which we feel that. So, and I think these are interesting questions and for me, what, why they are interesting, I mean, I suppose I regard myself as a, to some extent, a humanist in as much as I think um, we should really try to understand ourselves as humans and that means understanding a bunch of other things all the way down to understanding the way that protons work, electrons work the fundamental physics of how our, how our bodies operate at a micro scale and that is only going to be good for us to really understand ourselves as humans and I'll give you an application of this, just very briefly. We often talk about our emotions, don't we? We often say, oh, I'm feeling sad today. Oh, I'm feeling happy today. Or maybe somebody will look at us and say, oh, you look a bit sad. Why are you so miserable? Cheer up. Has, that, this, has this ever happened to you? People come up to you and say, why are you feeling so sad? Cheer up. And then you're a little bit shocked because you're not feeling sad. Has it ever happened? It happens to me all the time. Sometimes when I'm completely focused on something, my face completely relaxes. And the tendency is to just go into a kind of a non-smiling face. And people then interpret that as being sadness or some other emotion. But actually, I would not regard that as being sadness. So I think we have an imperfect language of our emotions. And I think the investigation of scientifically, fine detail, you know, fine, very, very fine detail about what, what happens within our bodies at the atomic and the protonic level would be fascinating. And where I think our science will hopefully take us one day. But it's a big task. Just to give you an idea, this is a rough estimation and I may need to revise it to get the calculation better. But uh, I did a calculation the other day that suggested if we were to take all of the protons and neutrons in our body and we were able to put them all together into a giant nucleus, let's say. Let's put them all together. And they were the sizes of marbles. Then that big ball of marbles would stretch out all the way to the orbit of the moon. The spherical 
ball of marbles, bag of marbles. I need to check the calculation because I think I may have made, may have made uh, an order of magnitude error, in which case it would be a lot smaller. But anyway, it gives you, gives you an idea of just how massive um, the proton at the protonic level things are in our body. How do you map your way around that? It's going to be intriguing. It's going to be extremely intriguing. Um, so, and just to put numbers on that, so the total number of protons within our body is <coughs> six times times ten. <coughs> so in my body. I weigh um, 100 kilograms, roughly, or 100,000 grams, or 10 to the 5 grams. So in other words, 10 to the 20, there are 10 to the 28, sorry, 6 times 10 to the 28 protons within my body. So that's fascinating, isn't it? So just to give you that idea. So that's all for me. Uh, this has been the Nick Neal podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope this one's been informative. I've not put on so much of a silly voice today. This is kind of close to my normal voice. And I hope you've had a, a great time listening in. Bye bye for now.